I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. While cable services may be on life support, the simple truth is that live TV still captivates audiences in ways that on-demand content can't. Maybe it was the anticipation that came with watching Roy Halladay fan 11 Marlins hitters in a perfect game for the Phillies back in 2010, or the anxiousness that occurs watching state-by-state election results on a Tuesday night in November. The bigger point is that while on-demand content has become a big part of our daily viewing habits, live television and the revenue companies generate from those audiences is undergoing a renaissance. In order to do business, in order to have things, we need to generate revenue somehow. The payment for what happens, the ability to create content, paying artists, funding great content, has to come from somewhere. So either people have to pay for it through subscriptions directly, which is the Esplot space, the Disney Plus, the Netflixes, the HBO Maxes, or they have to be willing to accept advertising in it because the advertisers are paying for the value there. These are the tensions and the trade-offs. Those tensions are creating an interesting dichotomy between traditional cable viewers and the trendiness that comes with being a cord cutter. But it's also generating an even larger divide in how media companies distribute their advertising dollars. Mike Woods, the Senior Vice President of Product for Amagi, joined me on Marketing Trends to discuss how media companies are actually approaching their ad buys when it comes to live streaming services and why SVOD services such as Netflix and Disney Plus are bucking traditional advertising with their subscription-based models. Enjoy this episode. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. Today, we have Mike Woods, Senior Vice President of Product at Amagi. So before the show, you know, I like to do a little bit of internet searching. And I mean, your background's super interesting, man. Like I want to touch on the whole geology degree, you know, rock enthusiast (laughs) to TV enthusiast. We'll touch on all that. But I mean, first and foremost, Mike, like it's an honor to have you on the show, um, especially because of your background and kind of where you're at now at this really cool intersection of, you know, content and advertising and platform. And so you have a seat at a very interesting table. And so I'm honored. Thank you for being here. And uh, we're going to have fun for sure. That's great. Thanks, Jeremy. It's, it's good to be here. And, and I, you know, I've, I've had some quirks and changes in my background, some, some different ebbs and flows here and there. And it's, it's been fun. I've learned a ton along the way. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty more to do. And this, this space in particular is so dynamic. It's so rapidly changing. The, the things that we're doing today, we couldn't have even thought about three, five years ago. Yeah. And, and here we are today. So it, it's been enormous amount of fun just to, to dig in and, and find a way through. That's awesome. So, so where did you grow up? 
How many siblings do you have? <laughs> I grew up in small town, Northern California. Okay. And uh, in, in this little town called Healdsburg. Okay. Um, which when I say it, it I look back and, and in my childhood, it was uh, Podunk Nowheresville. And today it's, it's the center of Sonoma wine country. So it, nice. it has this glamour effect that people are like, wow, that sounds amazing. It's like, yeah, you know, growing up there wasn't all that. But uh, it, it's definitely beautiful today. And it's, it's great fun to go back and visit. Cool. And then uh, I've got I've got one older sister, so that's that's the sibling there. Okay, cool. So you're the you're the youngest in the fam. I'm the baby of the family, apparently. Yeah, that's right. Got it. Okay, cool. So how did you first get started in marketing? What's the genesis of that for you? I guess in this case you're the SVP, but in this kind of transition into your career, how'd you first get started into kind of what you're doing right now? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's been a quirk along the way where I've gotten Shanghai into it. My position here at Amagi actually comes out of, of technical product where I've been leading now for, for, a, for a bunch of years, a set of cycles and development programs and all around building streaming TV. And I, I joined Amagi originally to be the global head of product. And I, I've, I've maintained that role with the, the global head of product strategy here at Amagi. And, and in the meantime, we kicked off this little program that we, we thought would help sell the inventory that we create in the streaming TV channels that we work with. And over a year and a half, that program has, has grown tremendously and has become a substantial business. And so I've got two zones now with the global head of product strategy here at Amagi, charting the course for where we're taking our tools and partnerships and the ecosystem of streaming TV. And then we've got an ad sales business that we call Ads Plus where we help to sell the inventory that we, that's created in the channels that we are. Mm. Okay. So unlike other, you know, tech specialists, you have this unconventional academic background. You completed a bachelor of science in geology from UCLA. So tell us about this really interesting leap from rock enthusiast to TV enthusiast. It is a great background for it. And one of the, the things that I discovered was getting a, a degree in college, particularly an, an undergrad degree, is it, simply, and I, this was one of those little things that I, it, that I learned very young. Somehow the insight came to me while I was in college, that what you do at that level is about saying that you're, you're intelligent enough, you have enough stick-to-itiveness to get a college degree. And exactly what you do is a little bit less, less meaningful in life. And so I, I, I leaned into something that I thought was fun. And I, I took a class in, of all things, Actually, I tutored a class. I didn't even take it. I, I tutored it for the, the, the football players in um, dinosaurs. You know, the, in order to bring some more compelling, interesting classes, uh, the, the Earth and Space Geology Department there had a class in dinosaurs. And I, I, I tutored that and, did, and just thoroughly loved it um, and, and kind of grabbed onto that, jumped in and, and uh, eventually majored in geology. Um, but I, I, I just enjoyed the, the experience of it. As I got out and looking around, I found that later in life, the things that we did in geology have really direct correlations, the thought processes, the way that you think to what we do in technical system development and computer system development. Just sounds a little crazy, but when you're out in geology, you're, you're out in the field, you're looking at the map, you're, you're walking around, you're taking measurements on this, this surface. And then you have to go back and you have to extrapolate. I've seen these rocks and they dip into the ground like this over here. And I see those same rocks that come out of the ground at a different angle over there. And you've got to extract what happens underneath the ground and then come up with an idea of what caused that to happen. And in system development, you look at things on a screen. You know, we've got a nice screen in front of us. And the thought process that makes a person a good system developer and a good technical product lead is understanding, hey, when I see these things on the screen, it means that all of this other stuff has to happen in the background. And being able to, to link together and follow those thought trains has been really, really useful. So the skills that I actually learned in geology with how to think in particular ways have proven to be really valuable later in life. It's been one of those interesting quirks where you do go from rock enthusiast, you know, rocks for jocks, into technical system development, where I spend a lot of my time you know, helping companies build computer systems, build, build uh, technical systems that power their businesses as a consultant with Ernst & Young and the management consulting group, and then, and then into other areas of life later on. 
And now it's, it's, it's in television and those same dynamics come true, right? What's a television set? It's this display that you see things on and in the back, in the background, we're crafting all of the parts that need to come together to make that viewer experience really great. Hmm. So can you tell us, like, give us like a, a really, I guess, high level understanding of like, how does a Magi work, right? Both on the delivery side and the ad network side, because you are at this really cool intersection. Yeah. Platform, content, ads. That's right. Tell us how a Magi works, because I'm seeing uh, revenue increase quarter over quarter. I'm seeing a lot of growth, a lot of momentum. And I think folks are starting to pay attention to Amagi. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how would you explain it? Yeah. So I'll start with a little bit of a big, a big statement, which is today, all television is streaming. And as we go through this transition into the full streaming world, the underpinnings of that are now entirely digital. They're entirely cloud-based. And what, what Amagi has done, the, the roots of the company, are they took these really heavy lifting video manipulation, video processing features that need to be done in boxes and in, in servers and hardware in a data center and took them, ported them into the cloud. And now we've extended on that into making really easy end-to-end uh, connections for channel owners, for studios to create channels to deliver those channels easily to all sorts of different outlets where the audience can watch it, whether it's traditional cable, we still tie into traditional cable today, to Sling TV or these virtual MVPDs to um, the Roku channel and the latest streaming services. And increasingly we're seeing streaming TV be built into TV sets, which is incredibly cool. You go buy a Samsung TV, you plug in an internet cable and you instantly have you know, a cable package equivalent of 250 streaming TV channels. And Amagi provides the technical infrastructure that powers all of this across streaming TV, mm. from channel creation to delivery, to when someone watches, when a viewer watches that channel, we've got the ad tech that frame accurately, seamlessly inserts the ads into the, the, the video for them. Um, and now we've got, we've, we've got business services like Ads Plus that are starting to build on top of the platform. And so, uh, you know, Amagi's roots really go back into that core broadcast tech, you know, 99.999% uptime. Your video is always there. Broadcast caliber gear brought forward into the streaming age and now powering this whole ecosystem that we're calling streaming TV. Hmm. So does your service work like just as an API that companies can plug in or does it sit on top of an existing tech stack? It varies a lot. So there are, there are the soup to nuts, Clients, the clients that come in and say, we want to do everything on Amagi. And we'll go from raw video content, whether it's live streams, it's pre-recorded assets, so it's video on demand or pre-recorded video, um, and provide them the tools to package that, to create that into a channel. And then the channels, it can be 24-7, it can be you know, the equivalent of a cable channel, what we think of as a traditional TV channel. You, know, you turn on your TV, you watch that channel. We've got the scheduler, the planner, the the playout server that makes all of that come together. It can also be live events. You could have a one-off. You know, just want to bring a live event and bring it out to your channel on on Roku. You know, we can we can do that. Um, it can be a package of video on demand content that lets you curate what that package is and then send that package of video on demand content to Amazon Prime Video, where people can find it, or to or to iTunes, or to wherever it needs to go, where people watch it, Tubi, wherever. So these are these are the different solutions that we have, and people can. Individual clients can tie into these building blocks in the ways that work with them and their stack. So it could be fully Amagi. Amagi can go from that raw content, channel creation, channel delivery, ad insertion, everything on our platform, or we can, we can break out chunks of it and just bring those particular pieces to bear. And, and we customize it a lot based on the client and what they need. Mm, okay. So why has there been this, I mean, dramatic increase in OTT viewership and an even more like significant increase in fast platforms. Yeah. So the, the damnedest thing is that um, people are still people, which is, is one of those things that, you know, we like to say that there's all of this progress happening and, and we, we continuously evolve and, and new things are coming out and particularly in the business world and the tech world, we love the latest, greatest, you know, marketing fad and business trend. But at the end of the day, people are still people and you want to come home. You know, a lot of folks work hard during the day. They come home. They get the kids to bed. They want to grab a beer, lie back, and just relax for a minute and watch TV. And that's a bit of an antithesis to a lot of what has been posed as streaming in the SVOD outlets, the Netflixes, 
of the world where you have to go in with a hunter mindset. You go in, you want to hunt down. I want to watch Star Wars specifically. I'm going to go find that and find that and watch it. Well, a lot of folks every day for everyday kind of casual use, there's other use cases out there that need to be filled. And this has been what has, has driven the next round of streaming. SVOD, and somebody told me this one time, and it just stuck, it resonated. Netflix is really the equivalent of the old school HBO channel, right? When you think about television from, from years back, Netflix is, is like the movie center. Great content, but it only fulfills one part of your viewing experience. And there's a bunch of other things that you need to have that holistic experience. You need live news. How are you going to do that on SBOD? You, um, you need events. You need the layback experience where you don't want to think about things. You just want content spoon-fed to you. And this is, these are the zones that, that then fast channels and streaming TV and other areas starts to bring in and, and make available to the viewer. Hmm. So when considering you know, the future of OTT and connected TV, you know, especially the, the visibility you have in your role, how important is this, you know, the overall UI UX, right, of, of a connected app, a connected TV app? It seems like that's got to be really critical, but what are you seeing? With the evolution of the space, there's been these phases of change and you, you need a whole ecosystem to come together in order to make the whole picture work. So initially, the big round has been technical breakthroughs that let us simply physically take channels out of the proprietary cable networks, these, these heavyweight video that we've been working with, to technically be able to do that on the fly, dynamically, over the open internet. So there's been a lot of significant technical hurdles that have prevented the ability to bring television out of big pipes, hardwired to the home, into the flexible streaming space. So we've made a lot of progress in those. The next is you need something to watch. So you need to bring channels and content into it that are meaningful. And we've been growing that ecosystem. There's been a tremendous amount of crossover from the digital video space, from the, the YouTube companies, folks that ran you know, Juke and Media with, uh, with Fail Army come to mind as people, you know, Tastemade comes to mind as people that have really significantly made the transition from and or, or augmented, built additional parts of their business around fast channels to add on to what they do in the, the YouTube and social video space. So we've had a lot of folks come out of that side bringing content. And now that the pieces are in place, we're seeing additional high-end content come in with traditional studios, traditional television outlets, um, that, that highbrow, A-tier content starting to flood in. And then the third piece that you have to have is you have to be able to monetize it. You have to be able to have a business model that makes sense. And so... With um, dynamic ad insertion, we now have this capability to dynamically insert ads into the, the content and drive it with advertising so we can offer it for free. This is the, the core pieces that underlie the fast space and have made it compelling. We've got the tech in place. We've got content coming in that people actually want to watch. And we can now monetize it really effectively with the, the advertising and targeted dynamic advertising that we can bring for the viewership. And now we can unleash that potential. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You, you shared a story about this dynamic virtual advertising being deployed uh, in a soccer match. Yes. Can you explain a little bit more to our listeners kind of how this works? Why is this going to be a really good channel for marketers? Yeah. Sorcery, I say, <laughs> was, uh, was the fantastic quote off of, uh, off of Reddit or or our Twitter on, on that. Fantastic. And, and it, but it is, it, it's, and, and then I, I contrasted that with um, Arthur C. Clarke, who, who said, you know, back in the sixties that any tech reasonably developed starts looking like magic. And it's very true. What, what we're able to do now is we are, we're operating in real time on the video feeds that we give to individual people. And this opens up the, this, the capability now to customize what is happening within the scenes, within the frames, within the video that we're delivering to one set of people versus another set. And the example that I showed, the actual technical in that is, is still a bit hacked together. If you, if you read the dynamics of how that exact example is done, it's still a little bit old school with, they'd actually created four different feeds and simply apportioned those feeds to different places. But what we're able to do now with the tech that, that Amagi has developed is to, is to replace on the fly things like that, um, logo zones, uh, billboards, uh, cups on tables, and tie in with an ecosystem of partners 
that help with this. Amagi is the core platform that welds these together. We've got an ecosystem of partners that do scanning into the content, that do object identification, that sell ad campaigns to deliver against these. And it lets us replace on the fly things like the banner ads around the edge of a stadium on the fly in real time as people watch it. And we can actually target that on a viewer by viewer basis because we have that one-to-one -one connection with the viewer. For the most part, in order to generate the scale that you need, you're going to do that at, at broader regional zones. So the U.S. feed will get these, you know, Coca-Cola will be the, the advertiser across the banner for, for the U.S. Um, and, you know, somebody else is going to be the, the, the advertiser in, in Europe. And you're going to do it on, on major regions like that until scale really develops to make that, that kind of smaller gradations in targeting be valuable. Mm. But this is, this is the really cool things that are coming out with the, the technical ability to take video, take action on it in the moment, in real, in, in real time or almost real time, and then, and then give those customized feeds out to individual people to watch. Are you seeing or doing any kind of experimenting with this technology and, and new strategies? You know, I think of, I think of like dynamic product placement of like, right. Yeah. Like you see, like switching things out, you know, now you see it, now you don't kind of a thing, but what are some of the things you're working with or maybe experimenting on with this new technology? Yeah. So it's right now from the Amagi side, our focus is on, is on that tech platform perspective. We've, we've got the, the tech that, that generates these channels, originates that signal, delivers them out, does the insertion in real time. And our goal is now to start productizing these different ad units, these different ad placements so that we can bring them to market in a coherent way, not as one-offs, not as customized, but in a way that, that lets us bring um, campaigns that can be described and agencies, a wide array of agencies understands what they are and now can bring campaigns to them and can create marketplaces around them. So starting to enable, how do we, how do we simply generate these, these advanced advertising placements, these ad units in content, make them easy for channel owners to program into their content and set cue points and say, hey, at this point, you know, bring in this kind of overlay, bring in this kind of ad insertion. This is going to be a sporting event. Now we know we've got a set of triggers that we can tell the advertisers, hey, this inventory is available, come buy it and fill it in real time. So we're working on a lot of the, the product integrations and triggers that make, make these core things possible. And then the, the next step out is to start playing with the space and seeing what resonates with people. I've got one zone for you, uh, Jeremy, which is that a specific kind of example starts going into QR codes yeah. and overlays. And this idea that, hey, one of, the, one of the, the easier ad units to do is a lower third kind of overlay. And if we can, can sell that dynamically, then can we also drive action through what we do on a, on a TV screen? Or is it still disconnected from the viewer? Is the viewer in lieback mode and wants to just relax and watch what's happening? Or... Is there an opportunity to convert that actively into a sale? Can we connect between that big screen TV set and action somewhere else? These are things that haven't been super successful um, across television in general. A few years back, there was a whole second screen movement of like coordinating what's on a mobile device or tablet with what's on the TV and it failed miserably. But now some of this is creeping back and, and the whole COVID pandemic, one of the weird angles of it has been that it taught everybody how to use QR codes. And, you know, again, ecosystem develops, it's built into most phones, you point your camera at it, you can instantly go to a link and do something. So an interesting test zone that we're going to fire up with some partners in the near future starts going into advertising units like this. Can we leverage this style of QR code on a TV screen and drive action? We don't know, but it's going to be interesting to find out. We're, we're going to set a, a set of experiments uh, to see how that comes together and then see if these are things that we can build into larger scale of ad placements and ad units uh, to sell off, you know, in, in bigger ways in the future. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting to, you know, of course you see QR codes came out a while back and then they kind of went, went away for the most part. It's like, eh, what is this? Almost ahead of its time. And then they become super relevant, you know? It's so ironic, isn't it? That whole back and forth, that ebb and flow is just kind of wacky with QR codes. They were definitely dead, right? You know, right. almost, almost entirely gone. And then, you know, quirk of fate, they, they come back out and who knew they suddenly become super useful. Yeah. Super interesting. How important would you say it is for advertisers to be able to navigate generational differences when it comes to CTV? It's critical, really critical. And, and this goes into a core of a lot of my messaging has been this transition from television to streaming TV is a, a change 
across the industry that ripples through every single part of it. And right now we're in the middle of this transition. It's super awkward because there's television and there's digital and streaming TV sits in this weird, awkward zone in the middle between the two. And agencies today, if you go into an agency, they, they often are divided with a television advertising desk and, and unit and a digital advertising unit. And with streaming TV, you come in and the immediate reaction is, well, you're digital. And then you're like, yeah, but we're doing mid-roll on a linear TV channel. They're like, oh, well, your television. You start talking with them. You go, well, we work off impressions and CPM. They're like, I don't know what you mean. What, how do we track that? So this is the, the, the conflict between the two sides that we see today. And something that has to get reconciled, that, that, that will get reconciled. That. You know, we'll, we'll, this, this will be found its way through. But it, it's causing ripples today. And, and understanding how this shift works, where it's going. If you're buying an audience today and you're buying one or the other or some mix of the two, you're missing out on markets. You're missing out on the audience that you want to buy. If you're buying cable TV, you're skewing very old. You probably know that um, if you're serious in marketing. Um, but you may not know how to control that. And the controls on that start coming into how you plug in to the streaming TV space because that's where the rest of your audience has come. And starting to chart that course between traditional TV buys and bringing those buys into the streaming TV space to do the full brand awareness campaigns to get the value of TV advertising today that you would have gotten 10 years ago. Mm. What are your thoughts on this whole cookie-less future, right? I mean, for marketers and advertisers that are worried about this right now, yeah. what benefits do, do OTT programming offer them, you know, when it comes to gathering insights and information about their audience and, you know, these dynamic ad insertions that are, they've got to be relevant. They've got to make sense in the moment for them to be helpful. Yeah. And now we have this big kind of gorilla cookie-less, you know, world that we're approaching. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? This is where the streaming TV space really shines in my view, largely because we've operated on the server side, which is devoid of cookies to start with. We've never had cookies. And so the underpinnings of the space and the thinking around the tech around it has developed away from cookies. So I think the, the push to cookie estate on the, on the broader digital side is very beneficial for, for the stream TV space because we've already been operating without it. And there's a whole set within Amagi where we're growing a whole set of data tools and targeting tools that start bringing in how to, how to work with privacy. How do we create that relevance between what people are watching and advertisers and do these good cross-up mashups while not infringing on privacy, while maintaining privacy. How do we do it effectively without cookies, without some of the, the old school um, DMP crossovers that we might've gotten in the, the digital space? And so these are the things that we've, we've grappled with a fair amount. And, and from the Amagi side, we've got a, a set of solutions that we're bringing to the market over the next you know, six, six to nine months that really bring in the ability to target against the audience effectively while maintaining privacy and doing it in a cookie-less way, and largely within the first-party data that, that we collect within the Amagi ecosystem. Hmm. So 72% of marketers say meeting customer expectations is more difficult than it was a year ago. How has this played out for you? What is your team doing to tackle the consistent challenge of this rising customer expectation along those same lines? You know, this kind of feeds into that experimental space that streaming TV is in today. It's still a burgeoning, growing space, and nobody's quite sure how it's going to try. We've got some, we've got a lot better ideas today than we did two years ago, for sure. The space is growing and develop, developing so rapidly. You know, the things that we're doing today, we we couldn't even even imagine five years ago. The state of the industry today is is quite different, and the shape of it is quite different than it was even two or three years ago. So we're going to see how a lot of this plays out and develops, but a lot of it has simply been get the core components going. Let's, let's bring that TV experience to viewers. Let's see if these fast channels, if, if television still resonates with people, it turns out it does pretty well. This is one of those quirks. It turns out that people really hated cable companies. They actually liked television, but they, they had great antipathy to, to cable companies. And now when we can slice out that relationship from television and cable companies, they're coming back to it in, in interesting ways. But today, the state of the industry is that we've simply replicated the cable package into streaming TV. And then tomorrow, we're going to see that phase two that starts evolving that into greater, far better viewing experiences for the viewer. And there's two zones of that. One is that core content 
experience where the viewer is experiencing the content and enjoying the content. The other is the advertising experience and starting to make that again today, that's a clone of what we did on television. We've done on television for what, a hundred years. Um, we're, we're going to, we're going to be experimenting in how to make that ad experience better for people. And so there's, there's a lot of, of trends and, and a lot of roadmaps for people across the industry that really go into those two core spaces. How do we make that viewer experience on the big screen in the middle of the living room in people's houses better, mm. more relevant to today? And the answer is not an app store, by the way. And then how do we, how do we make that advertising experience way better than it has been where you watch content? It stopped. There was a commercial break for two minutes, three minutes, that cable channel, five, six minutes. Oh my God. And then the content started again. So th- these are the things we want to grow through and develop on. So is it, where does it kind of play in? Do people want better ad experiences though, or do they want less ads? I mean, you have this kind of interesting toe between those two. You know, in order to do business, in order to have things, we need, we need to generate revenue somehow. And so the payment for what happens, you know, the ability to create content, paying artists, um, funding great content, has to come from somewhere. So either people have to pay for it through subscriptions directly, which is the a lot of the SVOD space, the Disney Plus, the Netflixes, the HBO Maxes, the all of that space, or they have to be willing to accept advertising in it because the advertisers are paying for the value there. And so these are these are the tensions and the trade-offs. And and I like the experience that are being done. Hulu is a good example of testing different ad loads for different subscription amounts and seeing where the crossover comes in, I think we're going to see a lot more of that experimentation in the future. There are certain formats that become awkward between linear. If you create a linear channel and you expect to have ads, time doesn't change. So when you have advertising time, you have to shift out what happens next in the channel. And so there's, there's challenges with making it easily switch between a paid experience with less ads versus um, an unpaid experience with more ads. And I think some of the advanced advertising, the overlays, bringing you know, breaking out of those those explicit block, you know, uh, commercial breaks, starts playing into that because then it starts letting us tune that while while maintaining the viewer experience. And and I think that that we don't know today where that split is. Uh, people always say they hate ads and then they don't want to pay money. So you know, as a, as a viewer, as a, as somebody in the audience, as someone who's consuming great content, you have to make a choice. Are you going to step up and pay for it directly as a subscription, or are you going to um, enjoy some of the advertising along with it and have somebody to pick up that bill for you? Mm. So, you know, there's a, a huge percentage of, of, you know, marketers that are saying, you know, that this, this whole pandemic has changed their digital engagement strategy. What are, and some of them you talked about, but, but are there any other new strategies and tactics that your team's adopted, you know, over the last year and a half? The biggest thing that's happened out of the last year and a half has just been throwing accelerant into the streaming TV space. The things that we, the, the last year has pushed the whole industry ahead by probably five to seven years in, in otherwise normal time. And the, the compression, the, the time that people have spent broadly just in their homes, figuring out streaming, watching new content, looking through, looking for the next thing to watch, getting bored, wanting to try something else, have pushed people along this path into the streaming space just more significantly. So the market has grown. It's penetrated much more into all of the demographic groups, the older groups, the younger groups um, across the board in ways that wouldn't have happened naturally, probably over a span of of several, you know, my best guess is probably five to seven years have been compressed into this little zone. Now, what about as consumers start to resume more in-person activities. Do you, do you see these, do you expect those to continue as people start getting back in person more and more? This is a, you know, Reed Hastings over at Netflix will always talk about, about Netflix's view of competing for time. And they, they don't view it as just other things on television, but competing broadly against the entertainment broadly that people do. As people go spend more time out, they're going to be streaming less. The, the amount that fast channels and streaming and streaming TV, where the streaming TV is going, has been quite small as a percentage against SVOD services or even traditional cable. The size and scale of traditional cable can't be overlooked today. It's still a huge 800-pound gorilla in terms of viewership. But we've, we've pushed ahead. We've really advanced the viewership in the streaming TV space, and we're going to keep seeing that grow. I think that, that the the size of streaming TV today and that growth curve simply outpaces 
the other dynamics around the edge of where people spend less time. I think that the other parts of that collective picture, particularly the old school cable broadcast, um, are going to get bigger hits and streaming TV is going to continue to grow. You know, will it continue to grow at that five years for every one year? No, but um, but I think those those growth curves are still looking really positive in this space today. Yeah, I mean, it's I saw something, you know, a staggering like 1.1 billion connected TV devices in use around the world with the OTT market expected to reach 194 billion by 2025. Yes. I mean, that is like, that's quite a, quite the substantial increase. Um, so it's evident that the future, you know, lies with OTT and connected TV. Without a doubt, you know, with old school cable and, broad, and traditional broadcast, you were geographically segmented. You were enforced because you needed that hardwire connection to the home. And by, by breaking this tie between television and hardwired to the home proprietary cable pipes. Now we have streaming television on a scale that before was never possible. And we have the ability now to launch channels for minimal cost. You know, five, 10 years ago, Vice launched a channel. It cost them $500 million to get the channel live. Today, you can launch a global streaming TV channel for you know, 1,500 bucks a month, $3,000 a month. It's um, the difference in cost to, to the scale that you can achieve today is, is mind-blowing. And so this is going to open up so much opportunity to attack television at a global scale with a set of tools that we've never, on the scale that we've just never seen before. And it's, it's incredibly powerful. Hmm. Now, I'm curious too about your thoughts on YouTube right now offering this live TV via, via OTT. And it seems to be, I think they're the, are they the only streaming player to host user-generated content? I think they're the, one of the only ones. Does that make this a, bit, a pretty big wide open play for, for UGC? And what are your thoughts on that? Because it seems like, again, that is another piece of it, but yeah. So a, a couple of steps back in my career, and what really launched me into the stream TV space was I was at a company called Maker Studios, mm-hmm. which is the, the largest multi-channel network on, on YouTube. And a lot of my foundational thinking in the space has come from this idea of taking YouTube content to traditional broadcast into the television space. And so it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I've, I've, I've simply been amazed that YouTube and Google haven't closed this space more quickly. It's been the obvious thing to do for years. And so it's good to see them start experimenting in it. I think that, that, you know, if I were, if I were pushing people at Google, I'd say, you know, move that quicker. <laughs> Get, get radical about that. There's, there's absolutely no reason that, that Google and YouTube doesn't absolutely own the streaming TV space today. They have all the components. There seems to be some political will that's, that has held them back. But if they can close that gap, they have a powerful combo there. There's other folks in the space that are doing great things. You know, Roku, without a doubt, is doing a lot of things that are really great. The, the, the team at Roku is incredibly sharp. They've been doing this for a while. They have a, a really big lever in the hardware device itself, the Roku stick, that when they plug that in, now they own that, that bit of real estate. They own that input. And there is a ton of power there. The TV manufacturers have gotten into this. Samsung has really led the way in this. Um, and, and I give a big shout out to, to Mike Cardulo and Takashi Nakano, the team over there that, that has really pioneered this space, built into the TV set with, with Samsung TV+. Plus and paved the way, really shown the rest of the TV manufacturers what to do in the space and how to do it the right way. But they're, they're still in phase one. They're still in version one of this. It's the cable package just now built into your TV set. But that is a powerful space to occupy. There's a lot of growth that we're going to see out of that coming up in the next few years. Um, and so being able to iterate that quickly, grow and develop that space is going to be key. Mm. So you mentioned a couple of brands that you're working with, Samsung, Roku, could be interesting to hear. Are there other other brands that you're working with that you think that are really utilizing, you know, Amagi well? Yeah, there's there's a lot of great clients that we have um, across the board. We have a, a deep partnership with NBC, um, and have been been working to as they've been going through a big tech transition through their broadcast stack, and we've been helping them, working with them to do that. So they've been a great partner. A lot of Amagi tech was used recently in the Olympics to help broadcast the live cast through the Olympics. So it was really great to be part of that and to see that grow and develop. Um, as, as NBC's developing Peacock, there's, there's clear crossovers between what the, 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 the infrastructure that powers streaming TV that Amagi offers and what NBC and Peacock are doing. So there's, there's great stuff going on there. Mm. 
And then there's, there's a lot of other folks. Look, Amagi carries a, a massive number of channels and has a, a significant portion of the viewership across stream TV running through our platform today. And so almost every meaningful player or perhaps even every meaningful player in the space is, is working with us in one way or another to help use the Amagi tools to make the space, grow their business, um, do what they need to do to be effective in it. Hmm. You mentioned NBC, which is awesome. We, we actually had Evan Moore, uh, their VP of commerce partnerships, and we did an episode with them on another show all about kind of shoppable TV, which I think is in alignment there um, as well. Really interesting to, to see what they're up to in the space. And so I, I like hearing that. Yeah. Look, I love, I love the direction that they're taking with Peacock. They have such promise in that, that um, you know, the, the, the greater Comcast group has pulled together, uh, again, a ton of fantastic core components. And um, if they can bring those together in Peacock and, and really build that viewer experience, build the expression of that, they've got a powerful thing there for the future. So I'm, I'm anxious and excited to see how that turns out. Beautiful. What are, you know, especially in the seat that you're in, this is a really interesting, you know, question. I'd love, I know a lot of people want to know this, but, you know, w- what are some trends, you know, in, in the streaming space, in the space that you play in general, that, that really excites you about where we're going you know, in the next couple of years, if you think five years from now, it's just, it's very hard to think where we might be, but you know, if you could go to the future a bit and talk about what you're really excited about, what are some of the trends you're really stoked on? So there's a lot. Number one is democratization of content. The very cool thing about streaming TV is that we, we now blow away a bunch of boundaries. We've talked about the geographic boundaries right now, anywhere that you can get an, an internet connection, you can get streaming TV. So that, that geographic scale has opened up and it's that alone offers a bunch of mind bending potential. They start piling into that. Now, channel wise, we used to be, we used to be bound by the size of the pipes delivering cable to the home with the open internet. Now we're only delivering video and we're only incurring bandwidth costs when someone's actually watching and we've unbound the, the size of the, 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 the scale of the number of channels that can be delivered. So now you can have an unlimited set of content. And again, if we get sophisticated in the viewing interface, we can start breaking free from some of the formats. So we've, we've done this transition of you know, old traditional television, moved it into a technical framework and a, and a cloud-based solution set that moves us out of a bunch of the, the restrictions and opens potential, but we haven't explored most, most of that potential yet. We've simply made the viewer experience look like cable. And so this is where we're going to see a bunch of these advances come out um, that go unlimited number of channels. Um, if you have compelling content, you're going to be able to get it into a TV set. Um, you can target now geographically. You can, you can bring in content that's relevant to folks in New York versus relevant to people in Los Angeles versus relevant to people in Bangalore, India, um, and really really hone in on those, those viewers, those different audiences in brand new ways. Hmm. The ROI change between the cost to create channels of content and easily deliver them into the TV ecosystem, you know, going from $500 million to create a cable channel to you know, $3,000 a month to deliver a streaming TV channel, that's a, a world of difference in terms of ROI and business model that you need in order to make that viable. And so this is where a lot of explosion is gonna happen in terms of content creation, content experimentation. What is UGC? What is formally created content? Um, how does this mix now on the big screen of the television set? These are all things that, that are being played out. From that viewer experience, what we do with dynamic ad insertion is we manipulate the video stream that's going to an individual viewer. We've got a one-to-one connection with the viewer, which when you extract the mechanism from that, you start thinking about how that works. Remember, that's, this is this geology thinking, right? So this is what you see on the screen. Now, if you take a look behind that into what's going into that, the dynamics, what causes that to work? Well, it, we're customizing the video. It happens to be constrained to the ad unit today, but there's no reason it should be. Now we can give you that, that customized feed. Now we've got the Jeremy channel. And it's, uh, it's just sitting on your smartphone. You walk up to a TV and you swipe off your phone. You, you point it and, and throw it onto the TV set. And you've got the Jeremy channel up on that TV set. Why not, right? And we, we know that, hey, you, you like to watch the news when you wake up in the morning. You like to have the financial markets on during the day. And then you, you watch like the evening news and then into some great shows in prime time. And we can just set up a slate that just plays through for you, right? 
And now you've got the Jeremy channel of what you want. Hey, you want to cue things in? It, it becomes a set of Spotify playlists, right? That that go, they become meshed into the, the television ecosystem and the TV sets. These are the things that fire me up and, and get, get really interesting. Uh, did you watch the show Stranger Things? Yes. You're the, the underneath where uh, Eleven would go from our world into the underneath. And it kind of looks like our world, but it's entirely different. Mm-hmm. This is that shift between the paradigms of television as we knew it and then television as possible today. Mm. Where we're dropping into the underneath. And hopefully there aren't big, bad, scary monsters coming to eat your face. But right, right. You know, that, that ability to, to change up what we do and do it in entirely new ways is what is what fires me. This is why I love this space is we're literally remaking television because we can, that the tech is here, the potential to do it, the way that we can access people, the way we can bring brands to, to people, the way we can create content and make things popular at global scales. This is exciting stuff. This is, this is really cool. I love it. That's so awesome. I, I, I'm asking the producers to get me one of those, uh, you know, that that was easy button. I want a mic drop <laughs> button. I want a button that says mic drop, mic drop, like just so many, <laughs> so many moments, uh, Mike, where, you know, you just, you shared some insightful things, man. This has been really awesome. I've got some, uh, kind of lightning round questions to, to close us off. If that's cool. Sure. I love it. Bring it, Jeremy. And then this has been exceptional, man. Thank you. Seriously. Thank you. It's been fun. This is the lightning round, uh, brought to you by Salesforce. Uh, we bring marketing and engagement together. So learn more about salesforce.com slash marketing. Number one, what is your favorite show to stream? I'm thinking about that. You know, I've been working through the, the whole Marvel TV series. Mm. I simply haven't watched them. And so I've been working my way back through them. Okay. And it's, it's, been, it's been fun. Nice. What is your favorite rock? Wow. It's a basalt. I'm writing that one down. Don't know about that one. Because why not? It comes out of volcanoes as liquid lays out on the ground and becomes incredibly hard, dense, crazy rock. Sorcery. <laughs> exactly. Oh, cool. What's your favorite part about working in the entertainment industry? My favorite part is that it is so dynamic that things that we're doing today are literally changing television. And it's rare that you get this ability to come in and craft and understand and be part of where things are going. And particularly, look, I grew up on television as a kid. Everybody loved television. And now we now I get the opportunity to be right in the middle of the touch points of all the flame and the fire where evolution is happening. It's going to forge the new view of television. Mm. And it's great. It's fun. I, I'm having the time of my life in it. I love it. What's your favorite book or the favorite book you like to gift most? I've gotten um, into this really random set of books around following through World War II and the Pacific Theater. And so the the, the two books that... <laughs> Thank you for the most are Helmet for My Pillow um, by Robert Lackey and uh, With the Old Breed by Eugene Sledge. And their first person, you know, frontline troop accounts of the, the war in the Pacific. And they're gripping. They're amazing. Wow. Um, if you weren't, you know, overseeing product globally for Amagi, uh, what would you be doing? I love adventuring and traveling. I'd be, I'd be doing some kind of crazy adventure travel, scuba diving with the sharks or climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or something. Mm. All right. What's your best advice for a first-time VP of product? Every day is about learning. The thing that makes a great product person is that you just love to learn. And when you think you know something, you get in and you talk with the next client and it's totally different. And so being open to that, um, understanding what you know and the value that, that you bring to the table, which is really critical. Your experiences mean something. And the views that you have, um, understanding how things work, why they work is really critical. But that, that love of learning every day I drop in and I'm, I'm learning new things. Hmm. And that's, that's, I think the core of great product people is asking questions, being curious, learning a ton about new things in management consulting. I love management consulting because you'd be dropped into a company and we call it, we call ourselves the two day experts. You get dropped into McDonnell Douglas building C-17 airplanes as a 23 year old out of college and be told, guess what? You have two days to know what this is, why they're doing this and to be able to talk with, you know, guys that have been spent the last 30 years of their career doing this. And I, I thrived on it. And this is, this is the core, I think of great product people. Mm, that's exceptional. Last question. Um, what is something wise that your elders taught you? That's a heavy one, Jeremy. You know what? It, it's actually what I, I sent to you uh, in a conversation that I had the other day, which is, 
a country music song, always be humble and kind. And I think, I think that the essence of people's role here on earth is, is to be good people and to, to, to bring goodness um, both in their, in their personal lives and then broader in society. And so, yeah, that, that song always resonates with me. Always be humble and kind. I love that. Mike Woods, thank you so much for taking the time today. This was exceptional. We loved having you and such an honor. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Jeremy. It's been a great time. Thanks for having me. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.